Well, good morning. Good morning, man. It is good to see you guys. I'm glad that you came out today. Thanks for being here. Uh, as always, I want to say hello to everybody joining us online. I'm so glad that you're tuned in today as well. So welcome. It is great to be with you today. Today, I want to begin with a story about this gentleman, Stephen Thomas. Stephen is a 34-year-old computer programmer who lives in San Francisco. About a decade ago, Stefan did a side job for somebody, and he accepted what was at the time a very unusual form of payment, something called Bitcoin. Now, at the t- yeah, you're laughing already, right? At the time, nobody really knew much about what Bitcoin was. Today, 10 years later, most of us have at least a vague understanding of what it is. It is a cryptocurrency, right? So it's kind of like electronic money in some ways which is sort of the logical next step in the progression. If, if you think about how you handle your finances, I would, arg- or I would argue, I would assume most of us probably get our paychecks direct deposited into our bank account. We check it online. We see the numbers going up. Then we spend that money via swiping of cards, right, and reading of chips, debit cards, and credit cards, which we pay with, you know, electronically, or we sit down and we write checks and we mail them out to people around the country. And at the end of the month, you've handled or kind of had several thousand dollars maybe even go through your hands, none of which was actual concrete money. Well, in some ways, Bitcoin is the next step in that progression with some very important differences. Well, 10 years ago, when Stefan was paid for this side job, nobody really knew much about Bitcoin, and it was not worth very much at all at the time. And so when he finished this job, he was paid a little over 7,000 Bitcoin. Well, since then, the price of Bitcoin has skyrocketed, and his 7,002 Bitcoin are worth today over $450 million. The price of Bitcoin just broke the $60,000 mark. The problem for Stefan is that when he received these 7,000 Bitcoin, he secured them on a digital wallet that was encrypted, And it allowed only 10 guesses at the password, which he has used eight of and doesn't remember what the password is. If he doesn't get the password correct in the next two attempts, this digital wallet will seize up, erase the contents, and encrypt itself forever, meaning he will lose all $450 million dollars. You're like, how does that happen? How can anyone let that happen? Well, it happened because when he received it, he thought, I've got to put a password in here. I don't want to use the same password I use all the time, so I'll come up with a long, complex password, which I'll write down on a piece of paper. Then he stored the hard drive away, but he thought, I can't keep the paper with the hard drive because then if somebody steals the hard drive, they'll have the password and the Bitcoin, so he'll keep the paper somewhere else. Well, then he lost the piece of paper. He has spent the last 10 years of his life searching frantically everywhere he can think of to find this little piece of paper, but to no avail. Don't worry, I think he'll keep looking. Uh, Interestingly, experts estimate that around 20% of all the Bitcoin in the world is is locked up on, on hard drives that are similarly where their owners have forgotten the password. Together, that amounts to over $240 billion that people will never be able to get back. Talk about searching for something valuable. It also makes me feel better about my use of the password 1234. 
I read that story recently, though, and I thought, what a perfect modern version of the parable that we're going to look at today. We've been in this series for the last several weeks called Heartland Chapter 3, where we're talking about the new direction that God is leading us together as a church family. And we don't have time to rehash the whole last five weeks together here this morning, but I want to encourage you, if you have missed any parts of this series, to jump online and to watch it, to get caught up, because I believe that this series will be foundational for us. I believe that going forward, we will point back to this six weeks and this series to talk about what God wants to do in us and through us in Chapter 3. And so I won't get into all the details. You can go back online and catch those yourselves. But just as a quick summary, remember that we have this new vision statement that is guiding everything that we do going forward in chapter 3. And the idea is that every single one of us is doing something to advance God's kingdom. No matter who you are, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to do something, anything really, that will advance God's kingdom. Because I believe that when you do that, there's a part of you that will come alive that does not come alive any other way. God will use you to work in the lives of other people. God himself will be glorified. Eternity will be impacted. And you will be changed in the process. From there, we've said that we have five core values that will guide us as we move forward into chapter three. The first four that we've looked at over the last four weeks are the ideas that we are in this together. We are here to serve. We are crazy generous, and we are good for this town. And today, we add our fifth and final core value, the idea that we are all about the one. Now, you might be wondering, what does that mean? And I'll admit, it's less obvious than some of the other things. It's pretty intuitive what it means to be good for the town or to be crazy generous. It's less intuitive to understand what it means to be all about the one. I mean, who is the one? Right? What does it mean to be all about the one? What do you have to do to be all about the one? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the concept of the one comes from a very important parable that Jesus told one time. Several of the gospel writers record this parable for us, but we're going to look at it from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 15. And as we've been doing throughout chapter 3 so far, we're going to stand for the reading of this parable. So would you simply stand to your feet right now as we read this parable? This is Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. In Luke 15, we read that now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for these moments that we get to spend together with each other in your presence. And Lord, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity to hear from you through it. Lord, we pray that you would speak into our lives today, that each and every one of us would hear from you exactly what it is that you want to say to us. Lord, thank you in advance for using this time in a powerful way. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everybody who agreed with this prayer said, amen. And you can have a seat. Just a few verses before this parable, at the end of chapter 14, we're told that, quote, large crowds were gathering around Jesus. By this point in his ministry, he had gotten famous. People wanted to meet the man. They wanted to see the miracles that they had been hearing about. They wanted to hear the teaching because Jesus had been rumored to teach like no one else could teach. And so they came to him. People from all walks of life, the rich and the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the young and the old, the righteous people of God and people who had lived wild lives of rebellion. This is why why we say around here that it doesn't matter who you are because Jesus welcomed everyone. This is what is really the heart behind our heart, that there, that there is a place for every single person here in the Heartland family. We, this is why we say all the time, it doesn't matter who you are or what your life looks like. That's true of us because that was true of Jesus. Jesus welcomed all people to him. As you can imagine, this drove the religious leaders nuts. They wanted Jesus to condemn the tax collectors and the sinners and send them on their way, but Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he welcomed them. But not only that, Jesus took it one step further on this day. In response to the criticism of the religious leaders that he welcomed and ate with sinners, Jesus told them this parable, and his point was that not only does he welcome people who they think of as sinners, he's going out to get them. Not only is he okay with them coming to him, he is proactively going and searching and pursuing them. And in an effort to help the Pharisees and the religious leaders understand this, he tells them a hypothetical story that they would have been able to relate to. He tells them the story of a shepherd who owns a hundred sheep, but notices that one of them goes missing. Now, this parable has so many little details, we won't even be able to like scratch the surface of the details of what this parable reveals about God. But there are several things that, first of all, I just want to touch on the fact that one of the things it points to is the fact that, or one of the things that's amazing about this would be that a shepherd would even notice he's missing one out of a hundred. Picture for a moment what a hundred sheep must look like. Whether they're spread out on the hill and across the valley or whether they're all together in a pen, a hundred sheep is a lot of sheep and it would be really difficult to notice, oh, I don't have a hundred sheep anymore, I only have 99. In fact, it just makes logical sense that the only way a shepherd would notice they're missing one would be if they are proactively tracking their sheep. The only way to know that you're missing one out of a hundred sheep would be if a shepherd was actually counting the sheep carefully, which we know, in fact, is exactly what what shepherds do every single day. You also notice that when the shepherd realizes he is missing one of his 100 sheep, he does not take that news casually. He doesn't say, eh, it's only one. I still have 99, right? That's enough. No, he doesn't have that attitude. He isn't satisfied with keeping most of them. He wants them all. And any parent who has ever lost a child can relate to this, right? About eight years ago, my wife Ashley and I decided that we were going to take our three little kids to the downtown Madison St. Patrick's Day Parade. And I asked her yesterday just to confirm the ages. I was like, hey, they were really little. And she said, yeah, they were one, three, and five. 
Well, we had never been to a parade in a bigger city before. We had only been to parades here in Sun Prairie or some of the surrounding towns, and, and we knew we liked parades. We knew our kids liked parades, so we thought it'd be fun to see a bigger city's parade. It was a gorgeous day outside, and so we loaded into the minivan, and we went. When we got there, we realized that we had no idea how many people would turn out for this parade. Apparently, there are about 600,000 highly devoted Catholics in the city of Madison who find it very important to celebrate the life and ministry and impact of St. Patrick. Either that, or they were there for the green beer. I don't know. One of the two. But there were so many people there. And so, so we finally get there. We finally find a place to park. We find a good spot on the square, and we settle in, right? We're, we're good. We found our spot. We're ready to go. Well, then some friends walked by. And we're so excited to see these friends. And we're like, hey, how you doing? What are you doing here? You know, we're talking to them. And, and so they decide they're going to just stay with us and take in the parade with us. And so we're trying to do that, like, you know, that subtle thing where you take up more of the space on the curb than you had from the people next to you when they're not looking. You know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me with that judgment. You do it too. Yeah, I know you do. So this is what we're doing. And we're talking to them. I'm talking to my buddy. And all of a sudden, Ashley goes, John, where's Easton? And I was like, I don't know. You're watching the kids. She's like, no, I wasn't. You were watching the kids. And in that moment, we realized neither one of us were watching the kids. And our three-year-old son, Easton, is nowhere to be seen. Immediately, panic sets in. I mean, we had no idea where he was. We're looking everywhere. We do not see him. We start spreading out. We start, start looking. I start asking people, hey, have you seen a three-year-old little boy? He's got kind of dirty blonde hair, fair skin. He loves candy and parades, right? They look at me like, you moron. That's 100,000 people out here. And so we're just yelling. We, we, we lose like any level of embarrassment. We're screaming, Easton, Easton, where are you? Easton, just yell and we'll come get you. Easton, where are you? You know, we're asking people to help. Everybody I ask looks at me with judgment. They're like, I'm a good dad. I watched my kids. Why don't you start to do this? Everybody actually asked has compassion and they help her. So she like amasses this army of people who start helping us look. And we are just like freaking out. At no point in that moment did I think to myself, I've still got two out of three. It's not a big deal. No, of course not. It's not okay. Losing one is a big deal. I have three kids. God gave me three kids. I know three. I love three. I want all three. Most days, I want all three. But you get my point, right? It was not acceptable to me to lose even one. And Jesus was saying, that's the heart of God. It's not acceptable to God that anyone would be lost to him. The Apostle Peter, who this sank in for later at the end of the first century, some people that were, had been followers of Jesus started to question why Jesus hadn't come back yet. When Jesus left, he promised, hey, I'm going to come back. There will be a second coming of Christ. And by the end of the first century, people were getting wor worried, like, like, is he not going to come back? Like, what's going on? Why the delay? And this is what the Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3. He said, the Lord is not slow in doing what he promised. He's not slow in coming back to get us, the way some people understand slowness. He said, but God is being patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone 
to come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. Rather, he wants everyone to come to repentance because God is all about the one. Eventually, one of our friends found Easton in a toy store. Without knowing it, we had parked ourselves on the curb straight across from the Capitol with a toy store right behind us, and he saw the toys and had wandered in to look at them. For him, it was no big deal. But in that moment, we would have given literally everything we owned just to get our one child back. And again, this is exactly how God feels for his children. This is how God feels about every single person in the world. And that's why one of our core values has to be that we are all about the one. It's not enough for us to come to repentance on our own. We can't be satisfied with our own salvation and our own eternal security. If we truly love God, we will want what he wants, and what he wants is for everyone to be found to him. If we truly love our neighbor the way Jesus called us to love our neighbor, we will want for them what we have found ourselves because we know what it feels like to be lost, and we know what they are missing out on. That's why when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he gave his followers one charge. He said, go and make disciples of every nation. Jesus was like, listen, I'm leaving so that the Holy Spirit can come to you, but once you receive the Holy Spirit, I want you to spread out like a search party at a parade, and I want you to do some finding. I want you to live with a sense of urgency. I want you to do everything you can to bring back into the fold all of the lost sheep you can possibly get. I don't want you to miss a single one. Jesus, in his ministry, used the language of the lost being found the Apostle Paul hit on this idea in his letter to the Corinthian church, and he used the language of reconciliation. Look at what he wrote in 2 Corinthians. He said, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What he was saying was that once you've been reconciled to God yourself, you have been given a ministry to do. You have been given a job to do. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation, helping other people be reconciled to God. And we do that with both our words and our actions. Actually, this is the heart behind all of the other four uh, core values that we've been talking about. We want to be people who are in this together. We want to be here to serve. We want to be crazy generous. And we want to be good for this town because it is the best way to live this life, living how Jesus modeled and called us to live. So we do those things because we believe it's the best way for us to live this life and because all of those things help us reconcile more people to God. And so we are all about the one. And that value gets lived out through our serving, through our giving, through our care for people. It gets lived out through our words and our actions and our conversations and through our invitations. Us being about the one is why we invite people to join us here in the room on Sunday mornings. Us being about the one is why people forward the service to their friends online because we just simply think, hey, you might like this. It's not about us trying to build a bigger church. We invite people to Heartland to be a part of what God is doing here because we care about the one. Because we know if the one comes, they might just get reconnected to a good shepherd. 
They might just recognize, I'm like that lost sheep. I feel like I'm wandering around. I feel like I've been going after some things that looked appealing to me, but I think I've been chasing after the wrong things. I think that life maybe is better in the presence of the shepherd. Maybe I'm not the best leader of my life. Maybe there is something better that I've been missing out on. Maybe life would be better in the flock. So let me ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you have been reconciled to God through Christ, who is your one? Do you have a one? Is there anybody that you care about at that level, that you love that much, that you could say, yeah, that's my one? I know you want everybody in the world to come to know Christ, but is there anybody at the top of the list? Is there anybody in particular, anybody that you could name and say, they're at the top of the list for me, they're my number one, that you feel like God has laid them on your heart? If not, I want to encourage you to get a one, to find a one, to pick a one. To ask God, who should your one be? To ask God, God, whose circle have you put me in? Whose world have you given me some influence in? Because you want them to be my one. And then I want to encourage you to love them, to serve them, to care for them, to get to know them, to, to have meaningful conversations with them, to ask good questions. You can talk about sports and things that don't really matter in the big scheme of eternity. Sure, that's fine, but also talk about things that really matter. Talk about life beyond this life. Share your faith. Ask about their faith, and, and don't try to argue with them. You don't have to convince them. Just authentically ask questions to get to know them and to, to build the relationship with them. Love them, and then trust that God will handle it from there. And if you're here today because somebody invited you, or if you're watching today because somebody forwarded you the link, I hope you understand that you are not a project or a number or a statistic or anything else. If you got invited today, it's because somebody cares about you. It's because somebody loves you enough to risk the awkwardness of inviting somebody to church in the year 2021. They did it because they thought, I think you're going to like this, so maybe I'll just invite them. So whether you're here because somebody invited you, or whether you're here because you simply wandered in on your own fruition, if you feel like maybe, just maybe, you're that lost sheep who has wandered away from your creator, away from the good shepherd, I want to take the rest of the time that I have this morning to simply do my best to tell you about him and his love for you. Back in 2004, Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams starred in a movie called The Notebook. The movie was produced for just $29 million, which was not a lot of money, but it would go on to sell well over $100 million at the box office. Right? It would become one of the most successful love stories in Hollywood. People loved the film. Critics gave it two thumbs up. I cried at the end. I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, people called it the greatest love story of the century. But I would argue that the greatest love story of all time can be summed up in 26 words spoken by Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's recorded in John 3.16 from a conversation he was having with a man named Nicodemus where Jesus said, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. People all around us in the world today are searching for God. They're trying to fill the void with a plethora of things, but none of it will ever truly satisfy. Even if it fills a a void for a moment, even if it provides a temporary release, the void always comes back and they have to keep filling it over and over and over again. I wonder if you ever feel that way. Do you ever feel a void in your life that you feel like you're trying to fill? I wonder if you ever think about God about eternity, about life beyond this life. I wonder if you ever ask questions about things beyond this physical material world that you can see and touch. Maybe the hang up for you is the fact that nobody can prove the existence of God to you. That's true. While I can't give you concrete evidence for the existence of God, I look around at the world around us and I think there are so many things that scream, there must be a God. I look up at the stars in the sky at night and I try to take in the enormity of the universe and I think there must be a God. I see the moon glowing. I see a shooting star jet across the horizon. I think there must be a God look around at nature and I think about things like the process of photosynthesis which is fading away with the weather changes and the true colors of the leaves showing through and I think there must be a God. We went for a hike yesterday and I saw the the leaves shimmering on an aspen tree just in this gentle breeze and I thought there must be a God. I look around at the animals and Uh, The fish in the sea and birds flying in perfect formation headed south for the winter because they know what's coming instinctively. They know they need to get to warmer weather. And I think there must be a God. The very first line in the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that it all points to the existence of God. But even beyond that, I think that there's a little voice inside every single one of us that speaks to us and tells us that there's a God, that nudges us, that prods us, that convicts us, that there's a conscience telling us, reminding us, hey, there's something more to this life than this life. Hey, you're going to live forever somewhere. There's something deeper. There's something that is unseen that really matters. And I think a lot of times we distract ourselves from that voice. I think we push it down. I think we move on. I think we try not to listen to it. But when we slow down long enough to sit and to give ourselves some margin, it's right there whispering to us that there is a God. Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. What he meant by that was that he loves us like a good shepherd loves his sheep. For God so loved The writers of scripture use several Greek words to describe love, but when they translated it into English, they had to to use this word love, but the words behind it were different. There's the Greek word eros, which means romantic love. It's the love that you feel for your spouse. 
There's phileia, which means brotherly love. It's the love that you feel for the people closest to you. But when the writers of Scripture were trying to find the word to describe God's love for us, there was no word that would do, so they invented a new word for love, agape, which means divine love. A word that we, a love that we cannot experience outside of God. It's this idea that no love that you have ever experienced in the past from anybody can come close to the love that God has for you because he loves you with a holy, righteous, perfect, never-ending, will-never-leave-you love. For God so loved the world. God loves the people that, that fill the planet. Yes, God loves the people on every continent. God does love the masses all at once. Yes, but God loves the one. God sees the one. He counts the one. He wants the one. He pursues the one because he loves the one, because he loves you. It does not matter who you are. He sees you. He's interested in you. He knows your hopes and dreams. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you because he loves you. You say, well, John, I don't deserve that kind of love. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea how far I've walked away from God. I've done nothing to deserve that kind of love. I know that. That's the great thing about it. That's what makes God's love so amazing is that you don't deserve it, that we can't earn it. The amazing thing about God's love is that he loves you with this perfect, holy, divine, agape love before you ever think of him. He loves you despite the things you've done, despite the way you've lived. He just loves you. None of that matters. And maybe you've lived your whole life far from God, and choosing to come to the shepherd today would be a first-time thing for you. That would be a beautiful thing. But maybe for some of you, you feel like, you have known God, and yet you've walked away from him. And you're like, is that even worse? Because at one point in my life, I was close to him. But I don't think I am anymore. Well, I think what's happened over the last 18 months is that a lot of people have taken their faith and they put it up on the shelf and they left it there. And now here they are almost two years later and they realize they don't really have much of a faith that they've neglected it for so long that they're kind of like that sheep that has just wandered away from God. It's an interesting thing in the language of this parable. For the longest time, I used to always think about this idea that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sheep who comes back than the 99 who didn't ever get lost. And I always thought about that through the lens of like the person who's far from God and comes to faith in Jesus for the very first time. But in the language of the parable, that's not exactly who we're talking about. I do think that's true. I do think that applies. But in the language of the parable, it was a sheep that was already part of the fold that had wandered off, that had wandered away from the shepherd. And the shepherd went to look for the sheep to bring it back to where it had been previously. And so if that's you, if you feel like you used to have a rich faith, but you don't know what happened to it. Maybe you feel like, I just got busy. I got distracted. I, I've forgotten about God. I just moved on with other things. It was an innocent deal. I didn't mean to walk away. I just did. I just drifted over time. If that's you, then I want to invite you to come back to the shepherd today as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him 
God's already done the heavy lifting. He's already done his part. Right? Jesus came. He taught. He, he performed the miracles, which validated everything he claimed about himself and about his relationship with God the Father. And then Jesus went to the cross, and he laid down his life to pay the penalty for our sin. God the Father raised him back to life, conquering sin and death once and for all on behalf of anybody who would receive it. And now, he spent your lifetime pursuing you, nudging you, prompting you, calling you, inviting you to come back home to him. And so the ball is in your court. The question is, what will you do with that today? It's a decision that he leaves for you to make freely on your own. He won't force you to come back into the fold. You get to choose whether or not you'll do that. But if you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you this morning, if you feel his voice nudging you, saying, come back to me, I want to invite you to mark this moment. I want you to make this day your day, a day that you know that's the day I came back to the Father. That's the day I gave my life to a good shepherd. And so we're going to close with a song that talks about God's incredible love for us. But as the band comes, I want to invite you to simply pray a prayer with me. If that's you, if you have a desire to be reconnected to the Good Shepherd today, I want to invite you to simply pray this prayer that I'm about to pray. Pray it quietly in your heart. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything to identify yourself, but just in your heart between you and God, I want to invite you to, to say these words with me. And to know there's nothing special about these words. It's not a formulaic thing. You don't have to get the right words or miss the wrong words. It's just a reflection of your heart. It's a reflection of your desire to believe. And so if it's your desire to come back to the shepherd today, to be part of the fold, will you simply bow your head with me and pray this prayer right now? Heavenly Father, I am overwhelmed by your incredible love for me. Lord, I recognize that I have wandered away from you. I have lived for myself. And that, Lord, I want to turn back to you today. And so, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. Father, we forgive me of my sins. We help me turn to turn and walk in a new direction. Will you fill me with your spirit? And Lord, will you give me eternal life? I believe that you love me. I believe that you sent your son to die for me. I believe that you rose him from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all. And Lord, today I receive you as my Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.